you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth happy friday before i go out into my weekend and take 48 hours to decompress and not think about design i figured i would hop on and talk a little bit about design answer your questions that way you can spend your weekend diying hitting home depot getting all your work done after i tackle these questions so without further ado let me dive in because lots of questions came in recently So the first one came from Michelle. Michelle wrote, Hi Betsy, I have purchased three of your courses and read your book and now I have a question. I am listening to your podcast in which you explain plantation shutters are expensive and you would recommend shears. Where do you like to buy your shears? Would you suggest a tension rod? Thank you so much. All right, so... I don't really like shears. If you did read my book, you've probably seen the last chapter, the naughty words list, and shears is among the naughty words. I don't like them because they are granny panties for your window. So a shear is a very translucent, often polyester fabric that when you pull it over your window like a drape, when you draw it, you can see through, you can see silhouettes. It isn't opaque. Now, I like something that is translucent, but not technically a sheer, something a little bit heavier weight, something that's not like that polyester or rayon type fabric. I prefer something like an open weave linen or a very thin cotton, something that's unlined, but you can still get that light filtering through. That being said, there are some situations in which a shear can work or is maybe even ideal. And those situations are say if your window cannot accommodate blinds because oftentimes if I want that translucency or if I want to be able to control the amount of light I'll do a blind on the inside and then flank it with drapes. But um, if you can't do a blind for some reason, say you have a shallow window box or say you just don't want to do blinds or say you already own a double rod, well, then you could get shears. But again, look for something that doesn't look so 
like pantyhose and looks a little bit more like an interesting textured treatment, something open weave. Uh, my favorite places to get shears, if you were going to buy shears, you know, Kohl's has some very interesting linen type textures that you can see through. Um, I also really like Restoration Hardware's translucent drapes, but they're so expensive. So you really want to make sure that you know, you're going to be in that space a long time because window treatments do not generally move with you. Each window is so unique that you're either going to have to get them hemmed or you're going to need something that was longer or, you know, yada, yada, yada. It just rarely goes to your next space. So make sure that you're in a home that you're going to be in for at least three years if you're going to splurge on those restoration hardware drapes. Um, yeah, so I think Kohl's and Restoration Hardware have my favorite translucent options. Some other places that just have good options in general for drapes are Anthropology. I also like um, Pottery Barn. West Elm has some good options, but they've really started limiting what they offer. They used to have a nice array of patterns. And you know, guys, that I love my grommet top. Because even if you get a shear, um, most shears are going to have a rod pocket, which means that when you pull it back to the side, it's going to bounce back. You can't fully manipulate how far it tucks, which means it's always ill-fitting ill-fitting, excuse me, and peekaboos out from behind the drape, which is why I call it kind of granny panties. It balloons out from the skirt or the pants and you can see it. Anyway, um, so that would be my recommendation. But again, um, shears are not my favorite thing. And that brings me to my next not favorite thing, where if you're reading my naughty words list from the back of my book, then you will know that another naughty word is tension rod. I hate tension rods. Unless you're using them in your shower, which is perfectly acceptable as a shower curtain rod, you should not be buying tension rods. I don't like them because they fit inside the window frame, which means if you have the rod inside the window frame that the panels also have to fit with inside the window frame. And that is going to eat up a lot of your natural light. It's going to eat up a ton of your window to have two panels inside. That's why we want the outside mounted rod because we can mount that bracket further outside the window frame and the panel will fall so that it partially covers the window box but doesn't eat up all that beautiful window light in the central area so i hate tension rods hate 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 um and my favorite curtain rods my absolute favorite curtain rods are from bed bath and beyond it's called the cambria collection i also really like pottery barn and restoration hardware i could get behind some west elm rods because they look so chic but they have these really chunky finials at the end, which make it really difficult to accommodate on windows in tight spaces. So I find that as many times, even today, I wanted to use one of these really chic finial West Elm rods, and it was just too thick. It was too dramatic and wouldn't actually look nice or fit in tight corners. So stick to Pottery Barn or, of course, my beautiful and super affordable Cambria rods from Bed Bath & Beyond. All right, let me get to the next question, which came from, let me see here. 
Oh, another question from Michelle. So she writes, Hi Betsy, thank you for the great podcast, the online classes, and the book. I just finished listening to episode 161 and you spoke about your master class. I searched the internet and found that you do not currently have one scheduled. I would be super excited and interested to learn more. I hope you will have more in the future. Thanks for your great products and knowledge, Michelle. So Michelle, I am so glad that you asked. I do offer online courses. There are three and they're perfect for somebody who is interested in design, who's going to be furnishing a place soon, who's going to go out furniture shopping and really needs help reining things in, who's trying to determine their style. But that master class, that intensive that I taught last year, really is for somebody who wants to be immersed, who wants to know all there is to know, who wants to know my secret methodologies, how I really work with my clients, all the ins and outs in a really minute level. And I am going to be releasing a master class in late 2018, early 2019. It may even, I am toying with the idea of really giving away my whole library of knowledge and doing it in a very visual way that might ultimately wind up in a certification process. That could be really exciting because right now I make all my designers go to a one-month boot camp where they are completely immersed and take everything that they learned in design school and flip it on its head because that's not really how we work here at Affordable Interior Design. You know, we don't care about furniture back from the 1800s and knowing all those unique styles. We don't need to know every type of fabric that there would be at the design building. We don't need to um, design a space from scratch. What we do need to know is how big pathways are in a space. We do need to know how to shop retail. We do need to know how to use a basic floor planner and make a flow in small spaces or multi-use spaces or open concept layouts that's going to work for a lot of different needs. So I find that when people get out of design school, they have a great background of knowledge, but it's not always easily applicable to real world scenarios. There's this big chasm between the two and that's where my course comes in and that's why I think a certification could be a really good idea because recently two of our newest designers that we just trained have no design degree and as many of you guys know who are longtime listeners I don't have an interior design degree I learn these tricks and tools over time working one-on-one with thousands of clients and then I'm distilling them down into principles that I can teach to you so whether you have a design background or whether you've never taken a design class in your life and are just intrigued, I don't think you need to go to design school to be a designer in today's landscape. And with my class, um, with my master class and or my certification program, I'm currently deciding which one I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to get you one step closer to really being able to manage your own clients, your own projects with confidence, no matter what level you're currently at. So there we go. So Michelle, I'm glad you asked. I will keep you posted. I definitely plan on sometime between December and February rolling out this amazing new course, which as I said, is the secret bootcamp course that I teach each designer who works for me, no matter their background. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, beautifying your home for less, styling your home, and the fundamentals of feng shui. 
Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. All right. I have a question coming in from Facebook and it's from Donna. Donna writes, my bedroom is a light to medium gray. I have a dark gray geometric white pattern. I'm getting tired of the color rug. I want to get another color rug. I have a lot of blue in other in other rooms, excuse me, so I would like to do another color. I have a blue side table and white nightstands. Um, okay, so it sounds like you have a lot of neutral going on with one small pop of blue. And my question for you, Donna, would be what is your inspiration piece? What is that piece that has three colors or more that's going to determine your color palette for the space? Do you have a piece of art above the headboard? Do you have drapes that have a lively pattern? Do you have a bedspread that has three colors or more? We need a starting place from which to derive your color palette. I don't just arbitrarily choose colors I like. I start with something that I can launch off of. And in your case, I think artwork would be a great choice. I don't generally use bedding for my inspiration piece only because the bedding changes out. You know, the more you wash it, the more worn it gets. And so it needs refreshing more than say your artwork or your drapes. I oftentimes think about a rug too as serving as the inspiration piece, but in your case, you already have a neutral rug. But really, everything goes with gray. It's a neutral. So by its very definition, everything goes with it. And blue, depending on the shade, can really be friends with a variety of colors. So find that inspiration piece that includes that blue and then choose your other two colors from that that will provide your three color palette because as we know gray is not a true color it's a neutral background so we need three roy g biv colors one of which we already know will be blue so donna oh you you've updated me and you've said that you have white colors and a white tall headboard well, again, Donna, white is not a Roy G. Biv color. Roy G. Biv means that it's found in the rainbow. So white is neutral. It's not going to count as a color in your room. So it's just another neutral foundational element. We still need something to jump off of. I'm kind of thinking if your headboard is very tall, you still need art in the room. But maybe instead of putting it above the headboard, you would do one piece above each nightstand. That could be a really nice look that has oftentimes a hotel feel. And people say, Betsy, aren't you worried that the lampshade on the nightstand is going to partially conceal the artwork? And I'm absolutely not worried. You do want to hang the artwork low enough so that it doesn't turn out to be higher than the headboard, which often means it's going to overlap with the lampshade and that's totally fine we can look behind the shade to see the rest of the art and especially with art that's abstract you don't have to see the entire image to get a real sense of what the piece is you know i i'm even fine with something quite detailed like a map or um 
something more specific. But I think that it's really nice to have that layered effect with a piece of art behind and the lamp in front. So Donna, I hope that gave you some inspiration and some things to think about. Let's get to another question. Um, This question comes from Danny. Danny writes, Hi Betsy, I have a question and I am new to your podcast. I always kind of feel like I know what's right and I know what's wrong, but honestly, I have bought a little house and the front room is crazy town. The front door opens off a cute porch directly in the middle of the room. It is a square room and straight ahead from the front door, you can see right into the dining room. There is a cove from which you can see this dining space. There is a god-awful wood stove to the right with a giant scale hearth that is coming straight out when we get the keys next month. But still, I have never had a house where you enter and you are right in the middle of the room. Nothing is centered except the dining table in the view beyond. All right, so let me tackle this first question because I see that you have a second question as well, Danny. So, you know, I think it's pretty cool that your door is centered in the middle of the square room. Now, part of the reason why I can find it to be a challenge is if you want to have a large-scale sofa in the room, if you want that sofa to face a TV, which needs a parallel wall, it can be hard when the door directly bisects the room because what it's doing is it's essentially dividing your room into two. And if we really think about it, it's kind of dividing your room into three because we have one space to the left of the door. Then we have that central space where you need to walk in and have that open pathway so you can get to the dining room. And then on the other side of the door, that right-hand side, you have another space. So it's trisecting or bisecting the room and it's essentially giving you two zones. And rather than having one spacious room, which you would have had if the doorway was to the right or the doorway is to the left, now you have these divided zones, which can be kind of a fun thing to explore, especially if it's a large square. You know, you could have a sitting area on one side and you could have, and a sitting area means something with chairs or something smaller than a sofa, like small love seats, uh, poofs, something like that. And then on the other side, you could have that sofa. But I do see, and I mean, I can't visually see, but I can in my mind's eye see where that might be a problem if this living room was also going to be your TV room. Because having two smaller spaces makes it really hard to get that good parallel viewing. But, you know, try not to think of it as one unified space with that door in the middle. Because it's going to be hard to find a rug that's big enough to go across both zones. And a rug helps you visually define the space as well. So if you get two smaller rugs defining the zones on either side of the door, that will help people to see what you're trying to do. And then just make a strong purpose set a true intention for each zone so that way it doesn't feel ambiguous people don't feel like they're walking into the middle of something they feel like they've got some options and then i think it's really lovely that they see that dining room i hope that you're doing something really um that has some pizzazz or some wow with that light fixture because it sounds like it's almost the focal point when you walk in. So I think the dining room really needs to be given a lot of consideration, a lot of visual impact with maybe colorful chairs or maybe that entire room is a strong color. So that way it gives you something really intriguing to look at as soon as you walk in. But there we go, Danny. I hope that helped. And let me get to your second question because you write, I don't mean to be greedy, but I have one more thing. 
My interior decorator sister-in-law hates my carport. She thinks I should tear it down immediately. It rains a lot where we are on the Oregon coast, and I wonder what you think. I think that our carport is not cute, but boy, is it useful. I don't care for two-car garages in front of a house, so I'm not interested in making it into an enclosed garage as I think it would overwhelm the house. I guess I'd instead want to put a pitched roof on that would seem like an extension of the house to match the rest of the roof line. And that seems like it could be weird. But I do think we should get rid of the plastic shed that's in the carport. Maybe we could paint it and add a couple good climbers like wisteria or kiwi or passion fruit vines to the posts. I'm no designer, but these were some ideas. Thanks, Danny. All right. So I'm looking at the picture that you sent of your house, of the exterior of your house. And it does seem a little bit lopsided in the fact that... The carport takes up a lot of visual room in the front. I mean, I think it takes up two-thirds of your entire visual front. Um, So it's on the left-hand side. And then the entry to the house, which has kind of a peaked roof, and it's got these beautiful um, shingle-style, cedar shingle-style siding. Um, It's beautiful. But... The problem is that these raw cedar shingles that have this wonderful wood texture and look so cozy and inviting are in stark juxtaposition to this plastic carport that has that kind of plastic top within these white metal columns that support it. So I really think that it does look incongruous. Um, Pitching the roof is something that seems kind of extreme and would draw even more attention to the carport. So it'd have to be done in a really nice, expensive way. I know that you're anti the two-car garage, but right now this carport is taking all that visual presence. Um, So I do think a garage could be an interesting alternative, and I think it would positively impact resale value because then you could continue those shaker-style tiles or, excuse me, siding on the house in the front, and it would look more cohesive and just a little bit, well, I think cohesive really summed it up. Um, And I like the idea of using some greenery to cover up some of the white or the plastic but I just wonder if it's going to draw more attention to it because I don't think you're going to be able to fully cover such a big expanse. Um, I'm feeling conflicted and I do do mostly interior design so there may be an architect or an exterior designer who might have more ideas for you but I can see what your sister-in-law is saying and um I don't disagree with her. Let's put it that way. All right. I have time for one more question before I bounce off and let everyone get to their weekend. So my last question comes from Irina. Irina writes, hi, Betsy. I have a question. I had a color consultation with you a few months ago, and we picked some nice colors for my office. Thank you so much. I am looking for a floor lamp for my armchair for the office, since sometimes I like to work while sitting in the chair and putting my feet up. I attached a photo of the setup. I would also like to be able to put a water bottle or a notepad somewhere where I am working, but the, sa- the space seems so small. I am struggling to make a decision. What do you think about the floor lamp side table combos? Can it work? Thank you, Irina. So for those of you who aren't familiar, a floor lamp side table combo is a floor lamp that tends to have a slim pole base. And in the middle of the slim pole base, there's generally a circular table that has a hole cut out in the middle for that pole. 
And so it's a combo effect. Now they also have floor lamp in table combos that sort of have pieces that jut out from the pole where you could put a drink or a book. But the most common one does have that circular table in the middle of the pole where you then put something that you want to store. I do think that they look a little 70s or 80s-tastic. They do not look luxe. They look very utilitarian. Uh, West Elm had a good one the other day that looked a little bit mid-century. You can find them at lampsplus.com. You can find them at lumens. Um, you can find them at build.com. But again, they I can't remember one that I would call chic. I think they really are just for small spaces. And I think an office is a really good place for that because an office tends to be less sophisticated. It tends to be more a place of practicality. So even if it's a nice looking office, it still doesn't have to be super slick or like I said, sophisticated like a living room or a master bedroom might need to feel. So I think the office is a perfect place for one. And while they're not my favorite things because they do remind me of my grandma's living room back in 1980, whatever. She had one that had like, it was from Germany, I think. I think one of my um, uncles got it for her during some kind of war and or military um, whatever deployment. There we go. And the base of the lamp was carved like a tree trunk and there were all these animals popping out. And then of course it did have that center circle where you could put a drink or a book on top of um Anyway, I have I have connotations and I've gotten stuck in that. But also I have never seen one that I like. And I work in a lot of small spaces because I work um, pretty much 75% of the time in New York City. And I can say in the past 13 years of design, I think I've recommended one of those lamp table combos a total of 10 times or less. So that shows you how excited I am about them. And I hope that helped you make your decision, Irina. Well, everybody, it has been so good to talk to you. Uh, if you have questions, if there's more you want to know, you can, of course, check out the website, affordableinteriordesign.com. You can become a premium member of this podcast and get tons more bonus episodes and content over three years of bonus episodes that are exclusive to our premium members. And you can find that membership on bigdesignsmallbudget.com. I just released one of my favorite premium episodes last week, so you won't want to miss that. And you can also write to me at Betsy at affordableinteriordesign.com. And I will catch you next week. Bye. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out. 
follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.